Yeah. So um, we're here. I'm here with another pre-disclaimer disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> the Unsullied with Oracle Goddess is recorded over the internet and the service provider I have is not the best thing since fried dumplings, not by even a long mile. They really, really showed their hand on this episode. In addition to that, both my guests and I live in Lagos, so there's an atrocious amount of background noise. There's cars in the background, some clicking and clacking that I can't explain. I also lost the first quarter of this interview and had to retrieve it in a manner that significantly compromised the audio round about the first whole 15... Yeah, I'm cringing as I say this. About 15 minutes into this interview, it's all very, like, noisy and unforgivable. So this is me on my knees saying, sorry, uh, bear with me. It does get a bit better as the episode progresses. And honestly, I, I can't even, I don't know what happened. I'm trying to work it out with both me and the service provider, as well as the person I used to, or the company rather, I used to do my recordings and we don't know what happened. So I'm sorry, but just bear with it. Okay. That's the disclaimer. I'm done and catch you on the other side. Thank you. Please be advised that this podcast may contain strong language and themes of an adult's nature. Enveloped by sadness when you hold my hand. Awash with fear that it will always be this way. Shame surrenders my thoughts to coward confessions. Holding your gaze as instinctive words surprise my lips. Looking away as their real meaning rock socket beds. You see it, don't you? You see it. Don't you? You see it. Don't you, don't see it less, see me more, see me less, see more. Are you crying? No. My mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly if I was good, good. And now for the Unsullied with Orica Goddess. Get in there. Have you ever seen an image of someone and you just know that they are arrogant? And when I say you know they're arrogant, I mean your bias knows that this confident looking person can only be that way because no one can be that larger than life and not be a villain. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I totally get it. Um, especially with the body language. First of all, there's the, um, excuse my French, resting bitch face. Mm. And it, it's, not, it's not limited to any gender because I've heard I have a resting bitch face. And then until I open my mouth and then they're like, oh my God. You're actually not a snob, you know. So the first thing is that resting bitch face. So that's like, okay, ch check that box. Then you study the body language. There's that, okay, I'm better than everybody else. 
And they're like, okay, check the other box. And then there's the other look, which is that, uh, okay, don't touch me. When anybody like passes by them, you know, and then anything they're doing, maybe they have that, that look of, oh, filth just walked past me, you know? <laughs> so you're like, yeah, this one is definitely arrogant. And then there's a touch of that fashion, you know? There's the touch of that fashion too. I mean, it's okay to dress well, but there's that snobbish dress sense that you just look at. And you're like, hey! Your shoulder pad, can it be higher? <laughs> or the shine shine on your clothes, can it be more shine shinier? You know, so when you tick all these boxes, you're like, arrogant AF. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't even have done my intro any better. I mean, but I shall continue. So, like this person has rightfully said, and then you meet them, and they are just so warm. I mean, the entire aura is just vibes of, come here, let me be the hug that life never gave you. And you just want to be mm -hmm. like, hug me, hold me, let me be your best friend, your briefcase, <laughs> your locks, anything. I mean, right. your keys, just le let me be your friend. Let me go everywhere you go. <laughs> and more often than not, these people end up being like, one of your best friends mm -hmm. eventually if you do give each other the chance to you know get to know each other properly most of my very close friends actually started off like this like either i'm the one with the resting beach face or they're the ones with the resting beach face and we decide that you know on the spot that we don't like each other and then one thing leads to another and then we start talking and now i'm like you remember where we met <laughs> well today's guest is someone whose style oppresses even the best of stylists and as you've heard he's also someone who probably has that um misconception about him when you first meet him everything about him yeah. speaks to someone who always takes the time to put his best foot forward someone who is very media savvy and knows how to direct conversation around him now you'd imagine i'm describing someone who is very self-serving and arrogant right and yet he couldn't be further from that. He is so full of generosity and he's always there to help people, always offering tips on self-improvement. He's a builder of communities oh. and a patcher of wounds. I've wow. seen him speak up for victims, both meek and mighty. And he continues to amaze me with his capacity to love and trust and see the very best in humanity. Oh. His name is Usi Nwachuku, and this is why he's on Solid. Oh, <laughs> Orica, you need, woo, you need to transcribe that intro. Give it to me so I can put it on my bio. Hey, where are you? And where have you been all my life? Come and manage me. Jesus Christ. What, what do you mean? What this is intro. you. This is you all day, every day. This wow. is you. This is you in real life. This is you in the magazines. This is you on social media. Wow. This is you. I want to meet that guy. I want that guy to be my best friend. <laughs> in fact, I want to marry that guy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, you know, there's so much I want to say now, but I'm just going to bring it all in because people like you are also very important because for people like us, we go through times where key things happen to us and we sort of forget who we are and we start to um, almost see ourselves the way someone that has criticized us sees us and we forget all these things. So moments like this where I'm spending time rebuilding myself, my spirit and, you know, getting in touch with my creator and just trying to find my purpose all over again and you're asking the holy spirit and you're saying okay who am i why did you create me what am i supposed to do and then you know for some reason known to best known to god 
you reach out to me. I agree to do this today. Today that I have one of my deepest moments in prayer. And then you say all these things to me. And I know one of my prayer points was, God, anybody that talks to me today, please inspire what they have to say. Like today has been that day. And then you're saying these things to me. So I'm just like, wow. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Erica. No, thank you, God. What? Seriously, that was your prayer point today? Yes. I said, anybody that speaks to me today about my character, especially, I said, any about my character, about advice, I said, God, please inspire that person to speak to me so I know that person is speaking to me through you. You know, I just, or rather, you're speaking to me through that person. That was my prayer point. I'm like, Holy Spirit, please, I really need to know who I am. Like, I, 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 like you know, you have an idea of who you are, but like I said, when something happens and someone you really hold close to your heart criticizes you and you're like a breakup, you know, and then you're in the process of figuring out who you are all over again. And then I said, God, just speak through someone today. Anybody that opens up their mouth to say anything about me today, let it come from you. And for you to say those things, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And God bless you. Thank you. Okay. So what I'd like to do is start from the beginning. Yeah. I'd like to hear about your ancestors, your lineage. So tell me about your people, where you're from, who your parents were, how they were raised, the holes in their shoes that they patched with the children they raised and, you know, how that translated into the drivers for your success today. Okay. I'll start with um, my mom. I mean, for my mom, uh, for my family, uh, there was the water and the fire personality. My father obviously being the fire personality, and I get a lot of my fire from him. And my mother being the water personality and um, water slash earth personality, and I get my um, my emotions from my mom, my subtle um, emotions from my mom. So my father... Um, from what he told me before he passed on in 2010, um, my father's from Undokwa East local government area, a, a small kingdom called Abo is in Delta State. He always told me of how his dad was pretty influential in his village and um, his dad passed on early. So he had to stay with them cousins and they were a bit harsh. You know how it is when you're staying with your relatives. So it's not like it's your actual mom Absolutely. and dad. So they're not going to be as forgiving as they are towards their children. So it was a bit harsh for him. He went through really tough times and harsh um, conditions growing up. When he was done with secondary school, he didn't, they, I, I don't think they had the intention of um, paying for his further education and all of that. And I think he endured some sort of physical abuse growing up. Not I think, I know he endured some, he told us he endured some form of physical abuse. You know, the typical story of almost like how the, the average Nigerian treats their house help. So imagine if he was a house help, how they would beat him, talk down on him, leave him out there. And so he became very ambitious and he was also very, very, very intelligent. And so um, he started to, uh, I think he went to teacher's training or something. And then he started to teach and then he met my mom. My mom was the nurse. My mom was more of the Ajabota. And then they got married. And then one of his um, cousins also told him, you're too intelligent to just have this uh, small degree. We need to take you out. So he sponsored him to America. My mom and he went with my mom. My mom was a nurse there because she was in nursing school here in Nigeria, graduated, went over there, was a nurse. She was the one carrying the whole family. So immediately he graduated, you know, with a male ego. He's like, let's go back to Nigeria. No, no. And then the Naira was stronger than the dollar. 
So um, he came back, he got great jobs, and then he decided to raise us to be very um, disciplined. He decided, you know what, do whatever you want to do, get your degree first. He raised us to be very serious-minded people. Um, he also raised us to have a playful side because he raised us um, with a lot of classics. Like we watched a lot of um, Sound of Music, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. We watched uh, Top of the Pops, you know. We watched a variety of programs, even Nigerian programs. He really wanted us to be very exposed. And um, yeah, he was a, he was a bit of a dis disciplinarian. But by the, I'm, I'm the last in a family of six. So by the time I came, he had relaxed. You know, he had been like, okay, we've been looking for a boy. We had one, four girls in between. My mom had three miscarriages, male. And I finally came when she was on birth control. Uh, no plans for children anymore. I just showed up and they're like, oh, oh okay. wow. Yeah, so they had calmed down. Now, um, he was that. Wait, sorry, were you born? Were you born? Clutching the birth control in your hand, like no, uh, I've heard you of, shall not pass. You shall not pass. You know, I've heard of those stories. No, but unfortunately, I wasn't that uh, creative when I was coming into the world. What my mom did tell me is that she was on birth control. She was like, "What? How am I pregnant?" You know, and she was like, "Okay." And she said her the pregnancy was very dramatic. You know, she was like, you know, she had a lot of people walking up to her, telling her things like. This what is in your belly, you go born at this time. Nothing will happen to this Peking. Um, that Peking, when you carry for someone else will walk up to her, that Peking when you carry for belly, what is in your belly is what you born. Nobody will change it. Nobody will do anything. She's like, hey, here? Is this the first pregnancy I've had? And then she's like, someone told her, go and bless this belly. She went to the pastor, uh, priest, Catholic priest. He blessed it, gave her another revelation. Oh, what you're carrying in your stomach is going to be a great child. Uh, he's a special child. Uh, just be very, uh, uh, you know, attentive. And she's like, ah, I bet me this Peking do come, make it a go. You know? <laughs> so I had that kind of dramatic, she had that kind of dramatic pregnancy when she was pregnant for me, uh, from not being on birth control to all these prophecies and whatnot. And then I came. Now for my mom, she's from um, River State. Uh, she's from Iberia Moma, H.A., um, she's the emotional one. She's the kind one. I don't really think I saw my mom angry. Even her anger was more like emotional, you know, very soft spoken, very beautiful, very calm. She, my dad was a disciplinarian. She was the emotional one. She's the one that would discipline you with emotions. Like I remember one day I was young and I was, I was, I was a rascal. I've always been that rascal. And um, I think she was, she had a gut. My, my mom was that typical female. You know, she had a garden. She had plants. She had trees. We had like all sorts of trees and plants in the house. We had pineapple tree uh, plants. We had like um, orange trees, mango trees, um, um, banga trees, you know. And she had her own little garden with her roses and she used to grow flowers. I remember we, she, she had this flower that used to really smell nice, especially at night. Like Nicole Queen of the Night or whatnot. We had like uh, mm -hmm. different flowers. My mom was just that person. Anyway, so she was in the garden and uh, I saw a snail. And then I came with this gardening shears and it just really pissed me off that every time you touch the snail, it would draw into a shell. So I remember setting the shares. And then <laughs> when the snail was crawling, it was like slow motion, like one of those movies. And then she saw me about to cut off the snail's head. I was like, it was almost like, no. And then I just went like, clip. And I'm like, yes, die. And then I probably would have been a psychopath if not for my mom. And then <laughs> she was like, I remember her words that day. She's like, no, almost crying. She's like, Booty, you're cruel to all animals. No. And then I was like, the one thing I never wanted to see was my mom upset because I was so in love with my mother when I was young. I was a mommy's boy. So from that day, 
I promised myself never to harm any animal or any human being at all, you know, physically. So, you know, she was that emotional kind of person. She would talk to me, talk to me about God, wake us up at uh, six o'clock or seven o'clock to pray. We would grumble. You know, she was the whole Christian woman's CWO in Catholic church. You know, she's that, she was the, she, 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 she was the heart and the spirit in our family. She was just very gentle. And, um, when my father got cancer in 2010, I literally saw my mom fulfill her vows, you know, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, um, uh, whatnot. I saw her. She never left my... I think throughout when my father was sick because he broke down in May and he died in August 2010. Throughout from May to August when he died, she only left his side once and that was to travel back to Asaba to bring some clothes. And then she came back to Lagos. And then I think she stayed away for only like two days. She was literally by his side. He went to India and then he died in India. She never left his side. My mom taught me loyalty, which is why I do not settle for anything less. Because I'm like, if my mom could be this loyal, even though like there are periods where my dad being a man that he was, you know, he would go off and he would, you know, misbehave in quotes and all of that. He was your typical Nigerian man. He had his toxic qualities, but she put up with that. Uh, the things that my dad loved my mom, he never abused her or anything. If there was any abuse, probably emotional abuse, which we weren't aware of until now with all the exposure that we have now. Because I was such a mom's boy, mama's boy, and I think in me, I already had the heart and everything because I never really wanted to see my mom sad or angry or upset. More like never really wanted to see her sad. You get so... Mm -hmm. For me, that changed everything. Um, which is why I always tell people, look at your child and know how to raise them. Not every child should be raised with a hard way or with the, you know, that whole spare the road thing. Um, I was an emotional child, so I guess she knew that and she used emotions to raise me. So for every time I tried to be mean or whatnot, I would, you know, think of my mom being upset and I never wanted that to happen. So yeah, that kind of molded and shaped me. And I think that's where I get my um, empathy from. I think it was inherited and it was also nurtured into me through mom, my mom. And yeah, my mom was uh, a very supportive wife from what I, from the stories I heard. There are times when my dad, um, when they were newly married, like I told you, when they were um, in America, when he was in America schooling, she took care of the whole family. And times when my dad just started to build himself up too, there are times where he needed her help financially and she was always there for him. And um, when he became a big man, yeah, it, it really didn't change because they had the system in the house where my dad took care of every other thing. And then she just took care of the domestic stuff, like in terms of financially, like she would buy like the toiletries, the food, you know, mainly like the, the she, she took care of the things, everything that had to do with uh, feeding and uh, I would say body care, like uh, sanitary wise. Yeah, she took care of that and then he took care of every other thing, all the expenses and whatnot. So they were a team, more or less. And that set the, the example for me and all of that. And through it all, she stuck by him, even the times where he was not very lovable. And that taught me about love and loyalty because it's not about the good times because it's very easy to love anybody when the going is good. But the true test of love is at times when these people are not lovable, how are you going to stand by them? Can you stand by them? Does it make you, make you unbearable? Does it make are the terms unbearable for you? You know, that's, that is commitment. It's not about how they love you when the going is good. It's how they love you at the times where you're not lovable. So, you know, all that really sort of uh, 
sharpened my idea of loyalty, commitment, and ultimately love. So, um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, that's me. And um, they were more relaxed with me. They allowed me to pursue my dreams. They allowed me to be who I wanted to be. All I had to do was just graduate from school. And they've always supported me. Um, my dad always supported me till he died. My mom still supports me till tomorrow. She prays for me constantly and consistently. And they love me. Um, you know, my dad loved me before he died. My mom loves me. And so, yeah, uh, I was raised I, every day when I interact with like different people, I always go back to God and say, thank you for the kind of parents I have. Cause I know I was raised right. Cause there are people you talk to and the first thing you think of is who raised you raised or what you? happened? Yeah, How yeah. did they raise you in this way that you have absolutely killed your conscience? Like, What's going on? Why why do I feel like I'm the square peg in a, in, in a round hole? Meanwhile, all the holes here are round and I feel like I'm the only square peg here and everybody else is round. I'm like, what's happening? It almost made me, at some point, I almost felt like, okay, why did you, why did my parents raise me up uh, like I was in a bubble? Why didn't they tell, like, I knew there were people out there. I was almost like, why didn't you guys raise me to be able to deal with these Permit my friends, assholes. Like you guys raised me to be such a kind, empathetic, uh, strong-willed, confident man, and you didn't you prepare me to deal with assholes. They didn't prepare you for the dickheads. Yes, they did not prepare me for the dickheads. And you didn't even know that there were dickheads out there to be prepared for. In the first it's always place. like be good, be kind, <laughs> be nice. And I'm just like, although the first betrayal I had from a friend in this industry, uh, the first person I, thankfully at that time, my dad had calmed down. So I started to talk to him like my friend. It was uh, about a year after I won Big Brother. After I didn't win Big Brother, you know, I went to, for Big Brother twice. You know, I'm always like, like you said in the beginning, I always like to carry people along. And I used to carry a friend of mine along. And then he went behind me and made the person drop me and then hire only him for the job. So I remember calling my dad really broken. And he told me, he's like, oh, next time, get your job. When you're fully in, then you pick someone else up. This person has a regular career. He's on TV every time. He knows what he's doing. You're still trying to figure yourself out. I know you're a kind man. I know you're a gentle man. And you're, I mean, you have a wonderful soul from what I'm hearing now. But be wise. Now you know who he is. Don't ever let money or women come in between two of you. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I'm never in my life going to say, no, don't do that. Because... The world is is a funny place. When this story is told, he's going to tell people that you were jealous of him and he's going to leave out the part where it was you that tried to get both of you the job. So go back to him, congratulate him. Just know not to take him to your bakery anymore. Just now you know the kind of person he is. So I guess that was my first lesson as an adult and I was um, 26 years old when this happened to me. So I guess that was, from then on, I started to, it started to prepare me for all the betrayals that I eventually have gone through. So, yeah, I think that's the only dickhead uh, lesson that I received directly from my dad. And I was like, hmm. Because my dad also had, there, was, there were a lot of stories of my dad going to the village. He would bring people, young men, just to help them, you know. Uh, my dad had companies. He had like, we had like a fast food com um, a joint, bakery, a drink supplying company. We had like a business center back in the day, business centers with computers where we'd print, find and all of that. Your, that sounds like... Growing up, your place would have been a place that wouldn't hang around Christmas. You guys would have food and drink exactly. and fresh bread. What? Fresh fruit <laughs> bread with raisins and all of that. So, you know, he would bring, constantly bring people from the village. And we even had a gas plant. So we would constantly bring people from the village to help them, to empower them. And they would end up stealing from us. 
always, not a single person was loyal to the end. They all stole from him and it always ended up in him having to arrest them before they would confess and then they would have to send them away. So for me, that was my own way of thinking. Ah, but I just thought it was limited to people from our village because our village was really small and I was like, mm, these people behave like witches and whatnot. You know that village people mentality. I didn't know that even the people in the developed societies would have this sort of uh, energy and uh, uh, character. So everyone being out for themselves uh, mentality, yeah. Yeah, selfish. And it's the ones that help you that you actually start to eat. I'm just like, why? So I sort of knew that, but like I said, I limited it to the village people. So I never knew like you would show love to your friends and they would do all of that. So yeah, but my mom, my mom's angle is always the spiritual angle, which is pray as long as you're good and as long as you're in the spirit, you know, God always looks out for his people. You know, there's a reason for everything. It ultimately works out well for your good and all of that, 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 whatever they try. Even though it looks like they're succeeding, they will never successfully do whatever evil they've planned, you know, against you. So, yeah, these are the things that have, you know, shaped me into the man I've become today. And I'm still learning every day. Like we said at the beginning, I'm at that process where I'm starting to find myself again. Because I think, you know, when you start to interact with certain people and uh, go into different relationships, you almost forget who you are, because, especially when you're an empath, because you start to want to live in certain ways to make certain people happy, forgetting to make yourself happy first. So it's never too late to start learning these lessons. I'm learning this at 37. So, hey, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm just absorbing so much of what you're saying right now because, I mean, first of all, you, you blew my mind when you described your parents. Some people say, oh, my dad was a soldier or, you know, my dad mm. was a professor, you know, starting mm. with what their father was as a profession. But you started mm. from the spiritual angle. My father mm. was fire. My mother was water. Mm. I was like, ah, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes. I'm dialing into this conversation now because it's so interesting that you started that way because for me, that's there, there are elements about who we are and our personalities mm -hmm. and how we interact with people. Sometimes people think, oh, no, are you a Scorpio or Pisces? And it's, it's, not, it's not just about mm. that. It's, I mean, I don't really believe in, in star signs or whatever, but there are other personalities really? there. Mm. Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't even, I barely celebrate my birthday. So, you know, whatever. What? I mean, when it comes to predicting your future and all of that yeah i don't believe in any of that crap but when it comes to like personality traits i kind of like i'm a typical leo my birthday is on the 3rd of august and when i read about the personality traits of leo i'm like oh my goodness that's me and there are two other leos in my house and i'm like oh this is Uzo. oh this is adibeli you know so yeah anyway go on <laughs> yeah no just saying i mean i like i said star signs i've never really mm -hmm. dialed into it but mm -hmm. i've been learning a lot about the different types of archetypes of people you know um some some animal archetypes and if you're a lion what you're more likely to be like if you're a weasel or a snake what you're, what you're more likely to be like in terms of your character traits and then they start talking about elements as well like water sand um sorry earth fire and things like that and the personalities and i really see how people you know interact with each other as a result of their 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 elements as well as the kind of choices they make in life based on those as well it's just very curious that your parents you have water and fire which some people will say that how how do you even get that to work um and then there's a there's someone i was dating once he was the ocean or water or something and then i oh. was the rock and 
the, the, the there's a possibility that he, he will erode me over time because of the strength and the force of his presence and power and whatever it is. I need to go and find that. I did a, you know, you do these tests online and it tells you what your, whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. And I read it and I was like, actually that makes sense because sometimes when we used to argue back then, I never felt like my voice was heard. I always felt like I eventually had to bend and just accept whatever he said. And I was like, that's so true. Your personality does over time just erode me. And I, I have no choice, but just to Agree. You know, bend to your will. Yeah. And something else I love as well that you're talking about, I mean, that you said is how much you knew you were loved and that you, you, you were raised in a home of people who supported you. Because again, speaking to different types of people, people even who, the, who they'll say things like, oh yeah, my mom loved me, but they never heard that they were loved. They never felt that they were loved. They just assumed that they were loved. I, I think your parents did such an awesome job. For, there's nothing like speaking to someone who knows for a fact that both of their parents love them. I and know. Like you said already, you yourself have you've, you've come across people who you can tell that they don't know if anybody loved them or even meant to have them around on purpose. And it, it does something to the mind. Yes. And they go on and damage other people. And then they, for those of us that are sure of who we are or thought that we're sure of who we were, we start to ask questions. We start to say, what is wrong with me? We're not forgetting that these people are projecting their own insecurities on us. You start to think, like oh. Like they say, hurt people hurt people. Yes. And because you're an empath, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so easy to, 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 to feel like you're the one with the problem, mm -hmm. which is why self-realization is like the best gift ever, knowing who you are, which is why I was so like emotional when you said all those things to me today. I almost forgot who I was. No, never forget, man. Please never let the world mm -hmm. forget. Um, and that leads yes. me to my next question, actually, that what's your earliest memory of shrinking yourself to try and fit into a space? You know, maybe it might be school, maybe friendship. You want to get on a football team, might be being in the Big Brother house, trying to get on set acting, could be just even being in your house playing a video game. I don't know, whatever it is where you've, you've, you've had to. You know the funny thing? Uh-huh. I was incredibly confident growing up. I was very outspoken. I was very mischievous. I was a rascal. I was also very caring and kind and emotional. And I've been a fighter all my life, not physically. Like you said, I would always fight for people. And I know where that started from. I've never felt the need to shrink at all. I always had the mentality of take me or fuck off. You know, I always had that. And it, came across as borderline um, arrogant, but for me, it was about nobody's going to make me feel bad about who I am. I don't have to apologize. You know, I hated that feeling of, because me, I was very talkative when I was young. So I would hate when people would like make faces or tell me you talk too much or something. I'm like, you know what? Screw you. You know, I, I didn't want anyone to make me feel bad about myself. And I was very, very, very very assertive. I was always very assertive and I didn't take bullshit from anybody. Basically, like it was so easy for me to cut off from people that made me feel less than who I was. Um, without any explanation, though, like I would just be, I would just had, I just had that state of mind of, you don't like me, F off. You know, there are millions of other people out there who like me because I was such a, I was such a ball of fiery energy. I was, I had a magnetic, and I still do have a magnetic personality. You I did, just noticed that a lot of people, thank you. You know, I noticed that a lot of people just enjoyed being around me. So if you decided that you were uncomfortable with that, I would just tell you, get out. 
So throughout my early years, my teenage years, my early 20s, up until my early 30s, I was that assertive up until I turned 35. Ay, ay, ay. That's a great question. The first time I ever had to shrink myself was at 35. And it's affected me adversely because, you see, sometimes, yeah, the way you are is the way you, you know, it's okay to bend a little, but not kill who you are. Now to your question, the first, I now met a returnee and I just felt like, I fell in love, I think, with all of me because I think I was ready. Uh, love will always cripple you. First of all, that's your first mistake. Yes. <laughs> it, it, just, it just made me, I just finally met someone that I felt like, you know what? Physically, this is what I'm attracted to. Mentally, she doesn't think like the remaining, the, you know, the, most of the girls I meet here. Um, she's not from a broke family. So, I mean, I don't mean to sound weird, but you know how it is in Nigeria where people feel like relationships are all about who you take care of and how you take care of them. Mm. This one didn't need that from me. And I was just like, and I liked her personality at first, you know, and it was just like, it was so surreal. And it was the first time I was in the same state, town, province, with whoever I started to date. So we started dating. And the first three months, of course, honeymoon stage, amazing. I was like, this is the love of my life. Oh, uh, you know, all of you that said I would, um, this is why I'm not married, suck on this. This is finally the love of my life. I'm definitely getting married to this person. Ah, right age, perfect, 35 for a man. Woohoo! And then the new year came, because I did in October of 2017. Yeah, we split in 2018. Yeah. And then I just noticed that she had a problem with my outgoing personality. She would say stuff like, I'm a bit too, I'm a bit too, the word wasn't loud, but like, I would joke with my friends the way I normally joke with them. And she would tell me, that was mean for you to say. Why would you say that kind of mean things? What kind of person says that? Look at the way you were talking. I'm like, ah, ah. But this is the language that me and my friends understand. I would even call them and be like, were you offended by what? I said, no, no, nah, not be you. You and your bad mouth. I'm like, did you hear that? So, hey, but it's just somehow. It's just somehow. There was something about the way you see you do it. You know, start complaining about everything. Like, I'll go out, I'll be life of the party. And then she'll say things like, eh, whenever I'm out with you, I feel like I have to take the back seat. Your energy overpowers my energy. It overshadows my energy. I don't feel like myself when I'm around. I'm like, that's not my problem. Like, I'm, I'm not like the boyfriend that tells you, shut up, don't talk. You are the one that's telling me, you're, you're now you're telling me that my energy is too much. Like, what did I do? Like, is this not the energy you saw when you first met me that attracted you to me? And she's like, I, I know, but, and then she started saying things like, oh, when I'm around my friends, um, I can't be myself if you are there because they pay more attention to you than they do to me. She started to project her insecurities mm -hmm. on me, but then I started to think, am I too much? Am I doing too much? I started to now tone down who I was so that she wouldn't be offended so or feel small. She would make statements like, um, um, you see, when, when I was talking, nobody was listening to me. But when you talked, everybody listened to you. How is that my problem? But then I thought, oh, maybe I am overshadowing her. Maybe I am too much for her. They say, I love you. I'm going to stay with you. And she would say things like, eh, you are, you are, you already know who you are. I feel like I'm taking off because she was 10 years younger than me. She was 25. Um, uh, she is 10 years younger than me anyways. But then, yeah, 25, 35. And she's like, uh, you've taken off me. I feel like I am taking off 
make stupid excuses tell me hey i think we're spending too much time together um maybe um you uh, I, I i just feel like there's some things i need to do and i'm not doing them because i'm tied to you you know just okay so i had to be like okay because for me companionship is more important than anything else so i started to say okay maybe companionship isn't such a big deal i started to try to get used to not you will say this but you're still the one that will be coming to see me every day i'm like okay so what do you want you know then you know they will, she will come and act all you know when they are going through their whole i'm sorry bipolar episode if that if of course undiagnosed you know it now, is she um no no undiagnosed okay, like i'm just saying okay. like mm. you know you now start asking yourself what have i done what have i done meanwhile she's going to do something outside that's upsetting her but she she's bringing it home to you making you feel like you know you've done something so i constantly to ask myself what have i done have i acted in any way have i done anything she would take things so personally you know she'll be like um even mere jokes and then she'll get drunk when we go out she'll get drunk and she'll become very um uh insultive and you know start to act out of character and then make it make me feel like oh you shouldn't have said this if you had not said this i wouldn't have reacted like that so i started to now say okay let me not react when she is in this certain way instead of saying check the way you act when you drink of course i would say that but next time when the thing happens to, instead of me concentrating on her checking her 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 outburst when she's drunk i would be more focused on okay don't say anything to provoke her now that she's drunk do you get what i mean so i started to oh, yeah and i started to now feel like okay and then my outgoing nature i stopped like she, her mood would change when i say my friends are coming over so i had to limit that sometimes my friends will call me and tell me yo i'm in your neighborhood here and i say no 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 no. i just stepped out on my sister's house or whatnot just so that they will come to my house so i started to withdraw from the crowd i started to you know crawl into my own in, into a shell and that's not me i'm an outgoing extra um, extroverted person but i started to become an introvert just so that my relationship could work and of course you know it ended very badly because got to a point where she started to even get physical um because of her own insecurities and she would cry and apologize it's just it was messy and when we broke up it was so hard for me because i'd gotten so used to being with the same person for a year it was i it was like i was thrown into a river without swimming skills but the thing about having a very outgoing boisterous fiery personality is that you would always initially attract people that are shy and reserved because they like to think they can live vicariously through you because that's what they envy you know they look at you and be like oh i wish i could be like that or people with low self esteem you know look at you with your high self esteem not bloated but high good good self esteem right you know what i mean they look at you and they are they are drawn to that because that's what they want but then when they come into your life and they spend time with you they realize that what you have is natural and they're trying to ha have what they don't have naturally or what they've not been nurtured to be you know so instead of them to get inspired by you they start to get threatened by you so the same thing happened in my next relationship where it was like the same complaints of um oh you're a bit too much you're a bit too aggressive when you're talking with your friends so i'm like yo i'm from delta states this is how we communicate like 
Say, eh, but calm down. You argue too much. Eh, just about As a someone movie. someone who's dated a worry boy, worry people get mouths. Exactly. And there's some things this guy would say to other people. I'd be like, how is he saying that and getting away with it? But they say it with some charm and it's funny and people laugh and no one gets offended. Exactly. You know? I, I had to learn to get used to that. Exactly. You know, like that's just how we behave. That's our language of love. Like normal people will probably see each other and be like, hey, correct guy, how now? How you day? I do. But us from Delta, we'll probably say, hey, bastard, how are you? And then we'll start laughing <laughs> immediately. Or someone say, hey, your father, dear, your father laugh. <laughs> and it's so funny because we were taught to laugh at ourselves growing up. That helped to build up yeah. our self-esteem. You have to not take life so seriously. We probably talk, you say, ah, say, see, as you should say, ah, see your, your, your mama and Pete. See your mouth like your mama and Pete. And we'll laugh because it's ridiculous. You get, it's all love. You know, and there was the same complaint of, uh, see how you were arguing about, like I was arguing with my friends once about, uh, we're arguing about a movie or something funny. It's like, eh, it was too much. It was just too much. I had to just walk out of there. I was like, what is all this again? You know? And um, I had to start to, okay, if she's around, I'll be like, okay, let me not get into this again. Now, compared to the former Uti, like me, I wouldn't give a shit. I'll be like, okay, if you want to go, get out. You get, but because of what everyone had been saying, I tried so hard to make it work. And I thought that meant shrinking myself in my previous relationship and this last, this pre, you, know, you know, last two relationships and this last one. Still to come on The Unsullied. You know, I've had near-death experiences where I was pronounced, I was going to be dead in like a few minutes. And they told my mom, go and spend the last few minutes with him. I was in a coma for three days. And that was like the last, supposedly the last day of the coma. I was giving up the ghost. Um, all my organs were shutting down one after the other. Uh, kidneys, uh, liver. I had sepsis. My intestines were perforated. So feces had gone into my bloodstream. Uh, yeah, basically a breathing corpse that was about to give up his last breath. If I was good, good, good. There is something that you mentioned there as well about how you want this person to come and having done their work. And I think it's important to note that it doesn't even matter if the person is in their 20s, their 30s or their 70s, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that sense of awareness, that willingness to, to look inward and find out what are my issues? What are my insecurities? What have I been through? What have I not addressed mm -hmm. within my life? And mm -hmm. what kind of, where's my mental state? You know, there are mm -hmm. pertinent questions about ourselves that some people shy away from, mm -hmm. either because we, we're scared to know more about ourselves or mm -hmm. maybe you've just never had reason to. Maybe it's always been easier to blame other people for who you are and what's yes. going on with you. And things like that will always show up in relationships, your your personal relationships, your spiritual relationship, your professional mm -hmm. relationship. It will always show up and affect you and trip you up in some way or the other. Um, and then there's something else you mentioned as well about how communication i mean sorry there was something you were saying about your first relationship and i was thinking about communication might have been her issue because sometimes people people who don't necessarily know how to express themselves i find sometimes it comes out when they drink so where you were for example saying okay i'm not going to say xyz right now because she's been drinking so let me be quiet for her She's probably spending a day, a week, or whatever it is, not knowing how to express her issues. And then when she drinks, it's now like a hint. 
So, I didn't like the way you said hello yesterday morning. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with the pipe? Girl, put your drink down. Stop drinking. <laughs> um, and I wonder if there's, there's as, as partners in relationships, I wonder if there's anything we can do to help people bridge that gap between where they are um, in terms of their self-awareness and their ability to communicate difficult things that they're going through or they've they've lived through because you've done the work you're able mm-hmm. to i'm still doing the work i'm still but you've doing done the work. enough that you know there are things that you mm-hmm. can see a mile away and mm-hmm. if you meet someone you're dating someone or you're friends with someone who hasn't done the work i'm sure you can see some things and you already know that ah this person you haven't addressed you know whatever it is that you you can already identify is there a way that you think you can help them bridge that gap First of all, mm. you have to be willing to learn. The problem is that a lot of people are not willing to learn. They're not willing to look inward. And um, like you said, um, people are free to you know, confront themselves. So if you cannot confront yourself, I can't help you. You have to want to help yourself. It goes back to the old saying, you can force a horse to the stream. You can't force it to drink water. There's honestly no way you can bridge that gap unless that person has made up her, their minds to be like, I am ready for this journey. I am ready for my journey to self. That's, and it can be very frustrating on your end if you try to bridge that gap and the person is not forthcoming. It just feels like you're wasting your time and your breath. But then I wonder about, okay, for example, there's something you said earlier about how you guys in your first relationship were when you guys were together and there was a way, there was something you said that sounded like a, a power struggle. And I say this because there's, um, there's someone I was dating and we were having some issues at one point in time. And so we went and saw uh, a couple's therapist. And this couple's therapist said to us that they can hear that there's some kind of power struggle going on, which was news to me and the person I was mm-hmm. dating because neither one of us, I mean, who, who's trying to tussle power in a relationship? Or at least that's how mm-hmm. I saw it. Like, well, what do I have to do with power? I don't, not interested in it. I'm here, I'm dating. So you know what I mean? But then the, 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 the therapist was like, no, it can be something as simple as um, somebody saying, oh, I'd like it when the toilet seat is up. And the other person saying, I like the toilet seat down. Mm-hmm. You don't think it's a power struggle at that point. But the fact that every day you people are just slamming the toilet seat down, raising it up and be like, I told you this, I told you that, and whatever it is. It becomes a battle of whose will is going to win in this toilet. Whereas mm, mm. when you're willing to share the power, you're able to communicate better. And then you're able to even let the other person know, look, when the toilet seat is up, it reminds me of when I was a child mm. and my mom used to leave the toilet mm. seat up. And every time she left it up in the middle of the night, I got up to pee, I used to fall inside the toilet seat. And so that's the trauma I'm still living with. So when you leave it up, it, oh. make, it reminds me of that. And suddenly mm. you're able to realize that, oh, this toilet seat being up, this is what it means to this person. And for mm. me to make them feel safe and loved and welcome in my home, I'm going to leave it down. Do you know what I mean? So it takes away mm. the power dynamic or the struggle of it and brings in understanding and a willingness to, to help the other person feel comfortable and safe. Yes, but that is when both of you are willing to share the power. Because in my last relationship, I was willing to do this thing that you said, just to describe, like, but why does this trigger something in you? I even went to the point where I was like, okay, can you give me your triggers? Then I give you my triggers. I am a very, very, very thorough partner. Like, I'm a cards on the table before we even start dating or talking. I'm a, you know, we have issues, let's communicate. I don't believe in 
um, walking out on each other or giving each other silent treatment. No, I don't do that. And then my last relationship it was all about, okay, you tell me what's wrong. I'll try my best. It's not going to happen overnight. I might repeat this like once or twice, but I assure you it will stop. And I did that work. I started to avoid things that would make her upset. But she was not interested in doing her own work. She felt like if she had to share power, it meant me overriding her. No, share, sharing isn't. Sharing is never about overriding. But that's what she felt. That's what I'm telling you. I was willing to do the work. Okay, these are your triggers. I'm going to take two steps back with this thing so that you don't feel this way you're feeling because I don't like you feeling like this. I'm sorry about it. Her own, even to get her to admit that what she did was wrong was a problem. Because she felt admitting that she was wrong would mean that she's a bad person or that she... I'm like, and I kept telling her, because you're bad does not mean... Or rather, because um, you, you're, you're someone who made a bad move does not define your whole character. Good people do bad things. doesn't make them bad. It just makes them human. Mm -hmm. You are human. Stop acting like an angel. So instead of you to accept that, oh, what you did was wrong, you'd rather look for an explanation to justify what you've done or totally deny it just to lose, lose all forms of accountability than admit to it, work on it and change and share. And I got to the point where I was like, why is it that I am always the one that is changing? But you're still doing the same things that we've been complaining. I've been complaining about since the beginning of this relationship. Instead of her to reflect on it, she'll be like, it's fine. Eh, since I'm not the only one, eh, since you're the only one changing and I'm not doing any work, eh, I'm the bad person. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe we should give each other space. I'm like, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So you see, the other person has to be willing. You have to be willing. You have to be. And I told her, if we can't have uncomfortable conversations, then we are joking. You know where you're lucky? Where? It's, it's from where you started out this conversation. You were able to watch two people who loved each other be together, fight, True. and True. come together. For True. a lot of us, we are not that privileged. I can't say I ever saw my parents argue. And so the first time I got in an argument in a relationship, I thought, oh, that means we've broken up. Because I thought the only... The only places I ever watch people argue was on in movies, on TV. Mm, and mm. when they fight in movies, it's normally the next scene is, oh, they broke up, you know? And mm, either they broke up the end mm. of the film or they broke up and then she meant Prince Jamin or whatever it is. But either way, she mm. argument is equal to end of relationship. I never yeah. saw my parents argue. I also never got to experience what it is for two people who really love each other find ways to compromise or find ways oh. to you know you know all the, all the different things that you describe your dad you know there was a period where he was difficult to love and your mom loved him regardless and you you mm. learned from that you learned from him you learned from her so for someone like yeah. me it takes being in a relationship with somebody who is vocal and patient that then helps me learn unfortunately because you've done the work i'm sorry but people like you are now doing work times four because you're now teaching people like me but like you rightfully said as well, I also have to be willing and observant and wanting to get better at it. Exactly. I have no problem. See, see it lights my fire when I inspire people. It li like, you see, my Canadian ex was talking to me last week and she said, she gave a list of things. I wish I could open it and read it. She was like, you inspired me throughout our relationship. Mm. You gave me, I never said this to you, but I need you to know. You gave me so much courage. You made me positive. Like, I never used to have that positive state of mind before. I, I, I thought I was positive, but you put more fire into my positivity. The way you care for your friends and your family just assures me that there is hope out there. And it made me understand why God blesses you the way he does. Do you understand? So I was like, wow. Okay, you learned. 
you actually did learn. So for someone, I don't have a problem teaching people. Like I said, it lights my fire. I like, and my ex, my immediate ex, I told her, I said, look, I'm used to coming into people's lives and making their lives better. And I'm not just talking about, I mean, when people hear that, they feel, they say, oh, you came and built a business for me. You came and, no, she had her own shit. Successful woman. And I'm like, I'm not talking about financially because the first thing she said was, hey, I don't need anything from you. I'm like, why do you always feel the need to prove? I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about mentally, spiritually, whatever way. So if you're not willing to learn from me, it just feels like our time together is wasted. Even if we don't end, end up together, at least take some good things from me. And for your own good, not for my own good, because I am taking some good things from you. You're teaching me more patience. You're giving me more clarity on things. So if we end up splitting up, I have gained what I can gain from this relationship. And it's going to make me a better partner to the next woman I date. As for you, if you refuse and you keep refusing to learn and to change, you're going to have to learn these lessons later from somebody that is not as compassionate as I am. And it's going to hurt you bad. So it's better you learn these lessons now, not for this relationship, but for yourself. For yourself, exactly. Because there's nothing worse than being in a, in a relationship with someone in future who's vindictive. Mm -hmm. Because that is when they make you pay for certain things that, that you're just like, nah, that, this is toxic. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be punished for these things. Yeah, yeah. So the first part of solving your or healing yourself is to admit that there is a problem. But once you keep telling yourself there's no problem, there's no problem, there's no problem. One of our biggest fights we had once, I said, what is your flaw? What, okay, what are your flaws? These are my flaws. I have no flaws. I said, you cannot tell me you have no flaws. I don't know. I don't, I, um, you're interested in painting me out to be a monster. I'm like, I am not. Ah, Uti, Uti, Uti. But the thing is making us look inside ourselves is uncomfortable. It's painful. It's, it's. You're asking us to search. Ooh. But that is why you are with the person you love. Yes. That if you can't be naked. Okay, so you can be physically naked in front of me. We can do all the freakiest things that we've heard of or read of or even watched. But you can't look deep into your soul to tell me that, oh, my flaw is that I'm stubborn. My flaw is that I am, I am, I am, uh, I am, uh, I am insecure about this or that. I mean, this, this might be a controversial thought, but I personally believe getting naked is the least intimate thing you can do for me when you say let me start looking inside my soul into each other's soul and that is that is the depth of intimacy and that is so scary it is scary you know now i'm not saying that i'm not willing to do it i'm just saying that it's 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 there there are people out there who will absolutely say oh you want okay. me to do what froggy style do from what and then <laughs> hang the rope where no problem i mean maybe at first they'll be like Yeesh, you want me to do and they'll they be a bit hesitant but they'll do it eventually However, when you now tell them to do something else internally, no, that is scary. But Whoa. again, it's not always because they don't want to do it with you. It might be maybe they, they've been in situations maybe with friends or family where doing that was not welcome, where it was punished. Okay, well, that is where your family. Something that people used as, as um, a transaction. A transaction, I get And it. held things against them. You know what I mean? So when you now ask them to do that, it's like trauma <laughs> fear okay <laughs> you mean what no let's have sex instead so you see that's not someone that's willing to do the work she has to go through her own journey to the point where she's completely broken and then she realized you know what i've been running away from myself too long it's time to do the work i'm sick of this bullshit and i told her you're a great person you're awesome but the truth is that where you are at your in your life and where i'm at in my life we can't connect she hasn't had that merry-go-round effect. And without that merry-go-round effect, you will not feel the need 
to work on your flaws. When you start fighting the same battles in different environments with different people, then you will now realize, I want to do something different. Right. And it starts with me. Right. Honestly, when it comes to relationships, then there's so many things I've learned in the past four or five years about myself that yeah. like you rightfully pointed out, it took me going through some horrible ass shit mm -hmm. for me to be truly broken. Yeah. For me to be peel me off the floor because I personally, I don't want to get up. I don't want to brush my teeth. I'm not going to shower. Yeah. I, I don't want to live, live anymore. Thank you. And after that, and through the friends that I had around me, yep. I then started I had to find a reason to want to live and not just survive, not just wake up and breathe. That's not living, mm -hmm. but to really live. And then I started going back and digging into everything mm -hmm. from a safe place. You know, and mm -hmm. the ones that I couldn't really get into, I know that, okay, I can't get into this right now because if I do, I will mad. I don't yes. want to mad now, but I will come back later <laughs> when I'm strong enough to open that box. So what are the other boxes I can open? And I start opening different things and it's making me understand my choices better, my mm. needs better, the kind of people mm. I have around me, the kind of people I haven't had around me. In fact, I've even started reconnecting with some people to apologize for things I've said or done to them. Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, to explain mm -hmm. why you and I can never be friends. But while we were friends, these are the things you brought into my life that were positive and I thank you for it. But mm. let's never be friends because you will destroy me. I will destroy you. <laughs> You're listening to The Unsullied with Orica Goddess. That's me. And this episode was edited by 808 Extra. You can find them on Instagram at 808XTRA. If I was good, good, good. What does 1990 mean to you? I think you would have been eight. I was eight, then? yeah. Aha. Uh -huh. Do you remember <laughs> that year? <laughs> 1990. No, wait, eight years old. That means I was in, because I was 11 in Genesis 1. So that's 10. Okay, let's go with 11 then. If 11 is the most memorable year for you. Oh yeah, 11, that's 93. Yeah, it just reminds me of when I was first dropped off in boarding school. I remember having, being excited I was leaving home. But then when the car went away, I was depressed. <laughs> I started crying. But the depression didn't last long. I think... For me, it started to teach me about resilience because it was so easy for me to get over things when I was younger. Now it's a bit more difficult because here I was, an energetic, curious, outgoing, excited kid, filled with so much love from home. And then I couldn't see my mommy or my daddy or my... I, I mean, I had three sisters in school, but I could only see them at special hours, you know, coming from a family where we're so like close-knit and all of that. But I realized I got over it in a short time. And I started to actually enjoy boarding school. Hmm. Yeah. So it just reminds me of... that was actually nice of your parents putting you in a school where you had your three siblings as well because yeah. I know people who went to boarding school and mm -hmm. even though they came from a home where they're like 12 children or whatever it is, each child mm. was in a completely different school. And so... Because you know sometimes when you're, when you're GS1 and when the seniors are trying to beat people up, the fact mm, that you have a sibling mm, in JS2 or mm -hmm. SS3 or something meant that mm -hmm. even if they want to punish you, they have to wait till that, that senior <laughs> Leads, graduates. Yeah. And they'll be mm -hmm. like, mm, we'll get you next year. <laughs> next mm -hmm, term, mm -hmm. we'll beat you. Um, so no, it was nice for your parents to put you in a place where, I don't know if you felt like it was a privileged place to be. But oh, trust, trust me, me, it was. I've, I've seen people <laughs> suffer as a result oh, of yes. just being them. 
Mm. Yes, yes, it was because I had um, my three sisters. Uh, three of them were really beautiful in school. They all used to be like most beautiful girl in their classes. So I had senior students that were were trying to impress them by being nice Ooh, to me. The toasters so, and they were giving all the provisions. Hey, provisions, money. I used to like go home with pockets with some of my pocket money. <laughs> I was spoiled. And my sister, one was in SS three. The other one was in SS2, and the other one was in JSS3. So I was spoiled up until when I got to SS1, because she passed out. Uh -huh. When I graduated SS1, she the last one passed out from SS3. So then the bullying started. But even at SS1, you're untouchable. You're a senior in your own right. And and then you're a teenage mm -hmm. boy, fine boy, good mm -hmm. looks, boyish good <laughs> looks, you know. So again, very untouchable. Everybody was just, I imagine, just dosing on you. Even Until then. my sister left, so SS two was when the my our direct seniors, mm. you know, they were abused physically by the other seniors, so they transferred everything to us, especially those of us that were untouchable when our mm. siblings were still in school. So I suffered in that year. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> help me describe tea at twenty one as a food item or an accompaniment to a dish. So I'll give you an example. <laughs> At 21, I feel like I was white rice, plain parboiled rice. And I mean super plain, not basmati rice, not jasmine rice, not ofada, because at least ofada has some essence of, you know, je ne sais quoi. No, I was mm. just some random, no label, plain parboiled rice. But you know what I wanted to be? Fried rice. I wanted to be Chinese fried rice. <laughs> mm. But I was probably closer to that kind of rice that yeah. I used to make, Ninja fried rice. That's when you go to the party, there's jollof mm. rice, there's pandan yam, there's all these other scenarios that people are eating. And then there's that mm. plate of, you know, Ninja fried rice that nobody wants to, mm. <laughs> wants any of when you put past the buffet. They're like, mm. ah, should I give you a scoop of this? And people are like, no, no, thank you. Give me the meat instead. That was me. What, what would mm. you say you were like? I think mm. at 21, I was that dish. I would say I was, um, no, I wasn't in Corby. What dish do you say is the most underrated dish? But actually tastes really good. Hmm. Ah, that's subjective because some people will tell you Amala and some people will tell you. I was about to go with Amala. I think a lot of people don't know how good Amala is. If you have not tasted Amala, you probably wouldn't know that Amala and Begiri mixed with Ewedu is, is, a, See, is a dish. Me? No, I'll go for okay, Stach and Banga. Go. I will Stach and Banga. Yes, because Stach and Banga is a delicacy mm. on its own and it takes only special people or people that were raised in a special way to appreciate it. So for me, I will Stach and Banga. I didn't know my own my own treasures that I had because I kept doubting myself because I felt like people didn't get me, people didn't understand me, not knowing that I was a delicacy. So for the people that did get to know me at 21, they were like, my God, you are way above your years. You're so mature. You're so deep. You are charming. You are, you are an amazing person. You are so endearing. And I was like, who, me? I don't see all of that in me. How? You get. So it's just like how people look at Stach and Banga and they're like, mm. but the ones that are bold enough to try, they're like, oh my goodness, you know? So yeah, I didn't know how much of a delicacy I was, but I was Stach and Banga, not for everybody, but the people that did get it, loved it. So that's why I was at I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. And who would you say you are now? Mm -hmm. How do you self-identify? I would say I am a buffet. I'm not just one dish. I'm Ooh. a whole experience. I am. Tell us. Yes. <laughs> I am a whole experience. I am a collection of different dishes depending on what you feel like eating at that moment. I am that experience where you smoke a blunt 
your appetite is wide open and you go in and there's just a large table with different dishes and whatever you pick tastes good uh just don't go for make sure you're not lactose intolerant or you you don't have any food allergies because if you have food uh, um, allergies it might be fatal <laughs> you might pick something that'll be fatal so as long as you don't have food allergies just just go in and binge binge because every dish tastes like mm, heaven that's what i am right now yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm just taking a moment to just imagine the banquet that you've, you you have prepared in front of me now thank you thank you <laughs> yes yes <laughs> that's me you said, yes, you said something earlier about how you're working on rebuilding yourself and and your spirit mm, and mm -hmm. i'd like to understand yes what kind of what brought on your your first spiritual awakening for you to recognize who you are spiritually um and the journey that you've had over the decades from age zero or whenever your first sense of awareness was to now spiritually i'd say growing up you know it's all about going to church and all of that i didn't just get it it was just like bible study and do this and don't this do this and not that and then i got to a point where I realized I was operating on the frequency of fear. I, you know how this revelation just come? When I started to get closer and closer to God in my 20s, my late 20s, I started to attend City of David and all of that. And City of David always preaches love, you know, the love of God, the love of God. And I think during one of those, when I used to fast and all of that, I, was, I remember reading something. And then I God has not given up the spirit mm. of fear, but a sound mind, spirit of love. And yeah. I was like, but why am I operating on the frequency of fear? When you, sorry, when you say you were operating on the uh, frequency of fear, can you explain what you meant by that? And also, absolutely. do you know what you were afraid of? Condemnation. Because the way we are raised in the religious setting in Africa, especially in Nigeria, mm. if you do this, you'll go to hell. So I realized that I was going to church because I did not want to go to hell. Then they would say, ah, if okay. you sow seed, you will reap fruits. If you don't sow seed, you, you, you will not reap anything. Sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Fall bountifully, you reap bountifully. Then I realized I was giving offerings and paying my tithe because I didn't want to go broke. Fear of being broke. Then it was just the whole thing of, if you do not come to God, he will not protect you. You hear people giving testimonies. And then after the testimony, they will say, it's only if you love God and you leave that this can happen to you. So because you're afraid that you don't want accidents or to be robbed or to be, or to be, you know, attacked or whatnot, you're not going to God. And I thought to myself, I said, okay, we are made in the image of God. I'm a celebrity, right? By Nigerian standards. <laughs> I'm like, one of the biggest challenges I face is users. And I said, how would I feel? God knows what we think. How would I feel if I could hear everyone and then all they would say is, ah, let me go and, let me go to this house so that I will not go to the other house that doesn't have AC. I don't want to go there where there's fire. I just want to come and enjoy where there's food and there's AC. I say, how would I feel? How would I feel if they do things for me? Say, ah, bro, Suti, let me do this for you now. Ah, then they'll not be telling their friends, ah, I beg, well, I just do it so that if Uti won't give me something, he'll give me ties too. <laughs> I say, how would I feel? And I started to look at it because we are God. We are replicas of god we are made in his image i'm like i've been worshiping god for the wrong reasons i i'm supposed to worship him just because he is or she is you know she's amazing he's amazing um comforting healing um is everywhere knows everything just in awe just like the way you look at someone there are people you look at 
And just the way they handle themselves and they conduct themselves. You don't want anything from them, but you're in awe of them. You're just like, wow. If you can be in awe of a human being, what about the one that created you? What about the one that created the universe? What about the one that knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning? What about the one that will, can take a man from the dunghill and put him on a throne? What about the one who just chooses to have mercy and whoever he chooses to and, you know, bless and gift you with grace and whatnot? That's worthy to be praised. What about the one that you don't have to ask and already knows what you need? Because I'm like, that part of the Bible that says, if you ask your earthly father, which of you will ask your earthly fathers for fish and they'll give you snake? If the birds and, you know, of the air do not have to bother about food, why are you a human being made in the image of God? Why should you bother? And I realized, I really don't need to ask God for anything because we, he already knows what we want. All we need to do is to thank him. And then my brother also told me that in their church that month, they were practicing Thanksgiving. No one was asking for anything. Because I realized I was praying the same prayers over and over again. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to. It just started to feel so mechanical. I felt like I didn't know God. I felt like I didn't. I was just like worshiping out of fear. And so I just switched to Thanksgiving. And I stopped going to church. I mean, I would go whenever I felt the need to, but it didn't feel like a necessity. It didn't feel like the way it was where you had to attend class at school, you know? And then I started to build my own personal relationship with God. And I was like, I just want to thank you because I already know you're already, you know, you've brought me this far. That means obviously I have the gift of grace, the gift of favor. I'm a destiny boy or destiny child, no pun intended. Destiny child, no Beyonce. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just like combined with the prophecies from my mom, circumstances around my birth. I mean, I am blessed to be one of those people that can point out situations that, you know, clearly show that they are favored and blessed. I wouldn't want to be that other person who has not had any experience to you know, to the point where they start doubting who they are in Christ. So I'm lucky. I'm blessed. So I said, obviously, I have that special favor and grace from God. So I don't need to tell him anything. He already knows my heart. He knows what I want. So I started to go into Thanksgiving, prayer of Thanksgiving, and just giving it all to God. I stopped doing religious practices. I started giving my tithe to my mom. started sharing, like, my offerings to any family member that needs something at that, at that moment. You know, I was like, I'm happier. And then it's still, there was still some sort of emptiness. But after this last breakup, I wondered why I was being isolated again. Because companionship is a lot, means a lot to me. You know, being alone reminds me of certain times when I was young where certain things happened and I have to be on my own. So I didn't want to feel like that ever again. But, you know, I talked to one of my friends and she told me, God is isolating you because he needs your attention. I was like, I've heard this thing before. I was a bit bitter. But then she's like, well, what do you want to do? You want to go into another relationship again and find yourself back here again and go into... The other one, the merry-go-round effect, like I said. So I said, you know what? I feel like, yes, I'm in that Thanksgiving mode. Let me find out more. So I started to watch a lot of um, Pastor Prince, Joyce Mayer, and um, Joel Austin. No shade to the Nigerian pastors and all of that, but I'm not, I'm, I, I, I don't connect to the way they conduct their sermons anymore. And then I found out about the gift of grace and how... You already have it once you confess, like in your heart, that you know Jesus came and died for you. I found out so many, like I'm trying so hard to bring out the words. It's, there's a feeling I have inside me now. You know, at first when I started, I didn't get it. But combined with what I'd learned over the years about just being thankful, just knowing that you are naturally favored and blessed, and all of that. So this time around, with the isolation, I found out that, you know, God isolates you so that he can prepare you 
what he's taking you to next. And most times his preparation is not really about the destination. It's more about your character because if your character is not right and you are blessed and graced and favored, you are going to ruin every blessing that comes your way. So it's about character. And by character, it's about how you think. It's about your capacity to remain strong in God, regardless of what is around you. It doesn't mean that, you know, I always had this um, opinion or mindset that once, oh, God is with you, no storm shall come, no, you know, fire shall come. But it's about your attitude through the fire and through the storm. Because if you're that person that's going to be easily shaken by any kind of storm or fire, then you're not built for where God wants to take you to. Because the truth is that if you're a fruitful tree, you will be pruned. You will be trimmed. You will be watered. You get me? Mm -hmm. The wind will blow. The land will be dry. The rain might fall. The rain might not. Exactly. Like you, will, you, will, you will see the elements. You will see it. That doesn't exactly. mean that you're not a fruitful tree. You're still exactly. a fruitful tree that's just you experiencing are. all the elements. I understand. Exactly. Yeah. So you need all of that to blossom more. And you need this harsh elements because you need the sunlight. You need the water. You need the, the, the pruning and trimming and whatnot. But if you're not a fruitful tree, anybody give a damn about you. So the more you go through these things, the more it sort of assures you that you are going somewhere. And if you don't shed off everything that is happening around you, they're all weight that's going to hold you back from where you're supposed to be. So I started to understand that more. And I was like, oh, so this moment now where I'm spiritually is in finding my purpose because the truth about it is that even if you're someone that likes relationships or purpose or your sorry relationships or companionship whoever you do decide to be with should be aligned with your purpose because if you're not with someone that's aligned in your purpose that person will continually distract you from your purpose whoever god has kept for you is supposed to add fire to the engine of your purpose and you are also supposed to add fire to that person's engine for your for their purpose you're supposed to complement each other. So the first thing is your purpose. That's the ultimate thing, your purpose. So I started, and the only way you can find your purpose is to be in the spirit and to spend so much time with the spirit and to listen to your the gift of intuition because that's one other gift I took from my mom. I, my friends and I used to joke and say, uh, you inherited your mother's intuition because your intuition will be like woman intuition. I'm one of those people that will say something and it will happen. Or I will see someone, I will say, this is your friend, be like, I've had so many times, they will come and tell me, guy, what you said about that, my friend, really happened. How did you know? I'm like, I don't know, I just felt it. If something happens here, yeah, I enter the place, I know something has happened. I'm like, yo, something went off. Something's not right. You know, you if someone's attitude- about things, yeah. Oh yes, I do, I do, I do. My friends used to call me winch. Do you have a lot of spiritual experiences? Just like I used to have dreams, maybe okay. something will happen and then I would wake up and I would tell someone, did this happen? I'm like, wow, you know, just when I was younger. And then if someone is not right for me or if I have a friend that is, you know, being um, nefarious towards me, I would dream and I would see them in some horrible s circumstances. And, you know, I, I yeah. I've had those, you know, I've had near-death experiences where I was pronounced, I was going to be dead in like a few minutes. And they told my mom, go and spend the last few minutes with him. I was in a coma for three days. And that was like the last, supposedly the last day of the coma. I was giving up the ghost. All the organs are shut down. And um, um, all my organs were shutting down one after the other. Uh, kidneys, 
liver, I had sepsis, my intestines were perforated, so feces had gone into my bloodstream. Uh, yeah, basically a breathing corpse that was about to give up his last breath. And they said, we've done everything, go and spend time with your child. And my mom went in. I keep asking her today, what kind of prayer did you pray that day? And she just keeps laughing. She just said, oh God, save my child. And I woke up the next morning and then the doctors entered and they're like, Jesus. <laughs> and then the doctor, when I was uh, 13, because I think this happened maybe probably in that 1990. Yeah, probably in that 1990. Oh, no, no, no. It was after I just left KG, I think. So the doctor, when I was a teenager, the doctor told me, I hope you know God because science didn't save you. Everything I did was experimental. I just gave you a cocktail of drugs because we ran out of options. You, you are one of the stories you used to motivate to, to motivate people in this hospital. I was like, wow. Okay. Because of all I've been through and my understanding and my emotional maturity, everything makes sense to me now. I feel so much better and I forgot how to enjoy my own company. Now I've, 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 I, I remember because after my last two breakups, there was that struggle of what the hell am I going to do with myself? What is going on? Why do I feel like this? Like I said, you know what? I could handle all that when I was younger. But as I got older, it just became more difficult. It was so difficult. I would feel like the air inside of me is about to be snuffed out. I would feel like I was suffocating. I would feel like my body was just, it felt like withdrawal. And I now realize that it was sort of an addiction to another human being, which is not healthy. You get what I mean? So I had forgotten how to be Uti on my own. I realized that my life, my character, my personality was being highly influenced by other people. So what this journey has taught me in the past month is to learn how to enjoy being Uti all over again. Learn how to be that Uti that was that fireball of energy and that assertive, confident, outgoing Uti. So that's where I am now, combined with the good news of the grace of God and how it is. I've learned how to receive the gifts of God. I've learned how to be confident in God. I'm still learning. I'm still, now I know what it's like when they say morning devotion. Back in the day, I used to just think of morning devotion is when people gather and be like, this is the idea that the Lord. And then they'll force you to pray we'll sing, some mechanical we'll prayer. We'll praise that. Our uh, father who at the level. Yes. <laughs> and then now, while you're, you're closing one eye, opening the other, thinking, oh, can they hurry up? up? Exactly. <laughs> it's all mechanical. For me, I'm just like, oh God, when is this over? But Good now done. I'm at that point, Oraka, where I wake up and I can't wait to get new revelations new information and then i'm looking for new videos i'm watching it and i'm alone and i'm saying yes yes i'm understanding so much of why i am who i am and realizing more and more that i am that way because of the grace of god in my life and i'm beginning to see how god has been with me from day one i mean i've always known but now i like really know for a fact and then i'm learning new things i'm learning new ways to think to feel <sighs> It's just crazy. Now I sleep with like some certain, so sometimes I go to bed. There's so many videos on YouTube. I just put in like Psalms to sleep in. So even as you're sleeping, the Psalms are repeating. Oh, I just listen to sleep music. They're like, you, they're like different megahertz of like sounds that help you sleep and encourage positivity in you and all of that. So I'm just like, I'm cooking myself to be the best version of I mean, I have to borrow your word to be the best version of the dish that I can be. 
like that buffet, that mm -hmm. banquet. And when I'm ready, when I'm done, when the table is set, ooh, mama. Like now I appreciate it more than ever. Like I know now I've been isolated. I know something is coming. I just don't know what it is, but I trust and believe what, whatever it is. But that's what this cooking is all about. That's why I've been isolated. And that's why my spiritual life is improving. And not by the standards of Nigerian religion, but by my own spiritual standards. Like they say, salvation is personal. I feel I've never felt closer to God than I do right now. And I don't feel like it's work. It doesn't feel like a, a, a commandment because the truth is that grace is not a commandment. It's a gift. No, it truly is. And it sounds to me as well, this whole COVID-19 lockdown, quarantine, whatever period has mm -hmm. also given you um, a chance to really connect with yourself in a way that yes. you're this little person. I mean, not little person, but you know what I mean? You're, 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 you've gone into your own cocoon, but in a positive way. You're not her You're not in, yeah. the, in that dark hermit mode. No, you I'm are not. in a discovery. You're borrowing away at the things that don't need to be there. And it just sounds fantastic. It sounds amazing. I'm actually quite jealous of your experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, um, it's refreshing. Thank you for listening to the Unsullied podcast. If you'd like to talk about this episode on social media, please use the hashtag T-U-W-O-G. And if you want to share this on with somebody, you can use linktree forward slash O-R-E-K-A-G-O-D-I-S. Now, all this information, you don't have to cram it. It's in the show notes. So just scroll. Scroll now. It's there. Thank you. If I was good, good, good. I really wanted to ask you about mental health, um, how being in the industry and in, in such a public industry where you're constantly either in the blogs, on TV, radio, whatever it is, it has a way of eating away at people's confidence or their minds or their mm. sense of self. Mm. It has a way of defining who you are and who you should be. You know, and when you're not strong enough, it, it eats away at your mental health. It eats away at you because there's all kinds of rumors in the press, whether people know it to be mm. fact or not. There's all sorts of things where people do to defame each other. And I wanted to know how you wake up every day knowing and being Uti. But I feel like you've already answered that now because you're yes, doing it through spirituality. The truth is that, yeah, if, if I wasn't made for this industry, I would have given up by now. And the fact that even without these uh, tools, spiritual tools that I have now, because when I started, I didn't have these spiritual tools, but from some way, for some way, um, belongs to me, I would just get over it, you know? So that's why I know that whatever my purpose is, is it's uh, aligned with what I do right now. Yeah. Because a lot of people have said to me, a lot of my friends have said, Uti, we don't know how you do it. How do you recover? You recover from things that have killed other people's careers. How do you do it? I said, I don't know. I just, I think the first thing, the first way I learned to survive a rumor was that time when people were talking crap about me and Alex. And that was like in 2012. And I was so scared. I was like, gosh, you going to affect my career. God, what did I do? And you say, lie, you. Was your, was your dad still alive then? No, no, my dad died in 2010. 10. Oh, wow. So he, okay, so I was so like, 12, okay. yeah, he had gone. This was 2012. How, how was it like for your mom and your, your siblings? And what, what was it like the first day you had to see, the first day you had to go and see them eye to eye? Nothing. Because they didn't even say anything to me. Then it was BBM mm. and we had a family group. They weren't saying anything to me. And my face was splashed on some stupid soft cell magazine, bold and everything. Mm. 
And I was like, okay, why do people not saying anything to me? So I snapped it and sent to them and said, I'm sure you all have seen this. Don't worry, I'm fine. <laughs> why are you a troublemaker? These people aren't saying anything. You're like, mm, you all act like you didn't see it. I'll be okay, I'm going to send exactly. it to you. Exactly. <laughs> so I, yes, I just said, yeah, hey, see you. They say, ah, we're not even worried about all these things. We're just worried about you. Are you okay? I'm like, yes, I think that's okay. We're fine. So I'm lucky that I come from a very supportive family. So for me, my worry was about work. I'm like, you know how judgmental this society can be. But I didn't know about the power of press then, be it negative or positive, right? So I thought it was going to affect us. But on the contrary, it took our fame from, well, for me, it took my fame from like level seven to like level 10. For him, it took his from like level two to like level eight. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this shit is working. And then I was like, okay, as long as you ride the wave with your head up high, it's going to profit you. You know, as long as they say you didn't kill anyone or in most recent times, you know, rape, you know. So that's when I learned that you just have to have that tough skin. And I learned a lot of lessons because sometimes... Things won't go viral unless you give it energy. Now, the only way it goes viral is if it's something preposterous you get. So I started to learn different things. And most recently, so I started to like say what you want to say. I know myself. Know, you, know who you are through Christ. And that's all that matters. I'm not what people say I am. I, I am who God says I am. And as long as you declare that, there's nothing they will say. And everything they try to do to bring you down, God will use it to take you higher. And my own life is my own inspiration. So for every new remote that came up, like, yeah, something, this is about to take me to another level. Now, most recently with this false rape allegations on Twitter, which was obviously from a fake account, what annoyed me was the fact that the blogs just picked up the story and just ran with it just to get clicks. So I was so upset. I'm like, you see, this is obviously a fake account. This person, even I and my friends could do a reverse image search. And, you know, we found out that this um, image was downloaded from a makeup website. Like, you know, this is oh, a fake stop. account. Oh, Really? Yes. This account was created like, what, <laughs> two, three months ago. Like, all these toxic BBF and BB Ninja fans just decided to create something just because I wasn't supporting their favorite. And they even had the tags, the oh, hashtags. No. I'm like, are you people stupid? So, at first, when it happened, I was like, mm, nobody's going to talk because it's, uh, only a dumb person would know that this thing, would think that this thing is real. But the blogs ran with it. And I had to do something. And I'm like, okay, God is still. So the former me would have been like, God, why? Why? But the new me, I was like, okay, what are you trying to teach me here? Because I know there's no reason why this is happening to me. What are you trying to teach me here? And so I just started to follow due process. I filed a complaint, filed a, and then, um, uh, made a uh, uh, filed a petition to the police for inst immediate investigation, and the person deleted the profile and ran away. I was so pissed because I really wanted to catch this person. But when they started, um, um, from my own personal side, they were like, "Oh, this person used a VPN, and the uh, IP address is jumping from you know different countries in the world." I'm like, "Crap!" Oh, that's, so I'm like, yeah. that's the first clue because nobody. I don't person. I mean, okay, I don't use a VPN, but I'm just saying, not that other people don't. People do use it to watch films or whatever it is yes but if someone is using a vpn specifically just to send a message exactly for school that they're hiding something or they want to it was just yeah. a troll mm -hmm. and the person deleted the account i really wanted to make a scapegoat out of the person i really did but uh, you know the person running away you know people came like oh we knew it we knew it we knew it i'm like eh, some of you were saying uh, it was true before now you're saying you knew it even the date the person picked i was even in america you know the thing is that when people want to attack you god will 
cause them to be confused. So I'm like, these are even the, uh, see, see the, the, the proof here. I was in America, except I have the gift of, uh, 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 <laughs> of teleporting. So how did that come and do, you know, anyway, it was all rubbish. And for me, that was like a battle. I had to learn to fight all over again. And what it taught me was about due process. You have to do, you, you, you have to do the right thing at the right time. Um, especially as spiritual people, we tend to, there are times to let things go and there are times that you have to act, especially because we're trying to come for my job as um, a spokesperson for um, gender-based abuse and uh, sexual violence against uh, women, you know? So they were coming for that. They were trying to make me a uh, disgraced or shamed ambassador, but it didn't work because when they saw that, we were ready to apprehend this person. The person ran away deleted everything and literally just ran away. I was like, oh my goodness. I really, really wanted to catch a person. So yeah, back to what we're saying, which is you have to have tough skin for this industry. If you can't handle it, you're in the wrong profession. There are times where I feel like I can handle it, but I'm like, I don't see myself going anywhere else. I'm here for this. This is happening for a reason. I'm here to learn the lessons. Bring it on, you know? And for every battle mm -hmm. I win, it makes me stronger and more prepared for a bigger playing field. And the thing is, I'm probably definitely about to go to a bigger playing field, which is why the battles are getting bigger and fiercer. And for every time I survive that battle, it's like one star added to my military jacket. So, yeah, it's a war that we keep fighting and winning and we keep getting promoted. That's the truth. So if you, if you were to describe your mental health as a building... What are the bricks that you've put inside and the wood and the concrete and whatever it is to, to, and the foundation to help it stay strong? I mean, we've obviously talked about your upgrade bringing with your family. We've talked about your faith. Yes. If these are individual bricks into that, you know, great building that is your mental health, what are the other elements that you've added to it? And, and how can we, you know, find our own path to be that strong to help us get through life in general? I think you've said it all. Spirituality, faith, God, that's the major foundation because if you build your house on a shaky foundation, it's going to collapse. So I'm lucky and graced to be able to start all over again. And it's a journey. There are times where I'll have to start all over again and again and again, and it's fine because we're evolving beings. It's growth and evolution. Like It's growth. I'm getting so much, I'm garnering so much knowledge that I'm like, where have these things been since? And I am lucky the two most constant and faithful things I have in my life is God and my family. So they've been through every stage of my life and my experiences growing up, I'm, exp I'm current experience with my family, I can't trade for anything. So I think those are all the ingredients in my, with, for my mental health. Relationships for me have destroyed a lot of these buildings, a part of these buildings, but I have used the debris from that destruction to build new areas of my building, if that makes any sense. I think sometimes we, when, when things happen and things burn down, mm. some of us think we have to throw everything no. out. Some of us don't know that part of that debris can be used and repurposed. Yes. So that's But then how do you know when it's debris you should be using? Because sometimes if you mix something that you should throw away into part of your foundation, you can actually compromise the integrity of it. You know what I mean? How do you know which one you should put inside bin? 
<laughs> which one you should just take to a tiosa and <laughs> let <laughs> bad beach water just rinse it down <laughs> i think i think anything that doesn't build you up i think you should take to the tiosa <laughs> anything that doesn't build you up because the thing is what did i tell you in my last relationship instead of thinking about what all the ways that they work out which i did in the beginning i remember when i said i told her that you're supposed to be learning not just for us not for this relationship but for your person and i learned patience with human beings i learned tolerance now i'm not going to tell you i learned how to fight negatively i've learned how not to fight and throughout i always used to tell her let's fight fair it's not nice <gasps> the way you are talking oh, to me. Tea. Let's fight oh, fair. Tea. It's true. You are, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I say, let's fight fair. Your head did yeah. Yes, nah. No, because I did not know how to fight. Oh. And I did not know it was important to know how to fight. Mm. And I didn't know you that there to. are different ways to fight. Of course. Do you know what I mean? And those three things are so key. Very, very key. Very, you can't very stand up for yourself. You can't stand up for other people. Yep. You can't um, be your own champion, your own cause. You, there's so many things you just can't do without understanding what that word fight yes. means. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So, those kind of things you learn. Okay. What did I say that I shouldn't have said? How would I have communicated in a better way? When was it my fault that, you know, when was it my fault that made this thing go south? When was it the other person's fault? Now, you have to start to analyze everything and know when to pick the gold and when to throw away the dirt. You know what I mean? So that's how it is. Like everything that builds you up, take it. Everything that makes you um, harbor self-doubt, self-condemnation, self-hate, um, throw it out throw it out but just make sure you're building up yourself with that debris like just tell yourself okay this is how i reacted like now i can beat my chest to know i gave my all because i didn't walk out to my relationship she walked out and i always told her from the beginning i'm like if this is going to end i will not walk out on you because i've chosen you and if you walk out on me then that means you're not the one for me because i'm never going to be that person that'll be sitting down thinking did i end something that was good no I was here. I stayed. You are a work in progress. I'm also a work in progress too. But I stayed. I was ready. You were not ready because you were not ready to own up to your own bullshit. How can you be angry when somebody is telling you that this is what you did to make me upset? They are not upset that I'm upset. I don't understand. <laughs> How can you be angry that I'm angry? <laughs> Instead of you to fess up and say, even if you didn't mean to, this is what it came out as, then you now tell me, sorry, and work on it. You know? So I know that I did my best. I know I was, even though there were times I didn't want to be there, I was there because I understood that, you know, not, people are not going to be lovable every moment, but that's what makes you emotionally intelligent. The times when people are unlovable are the times where you should love them the most, as long as they're not threatening your life, you know? So those are the kind of things you yeah. build on so that when the person that comes to you is for you, you would, you would know. You'll be like, oh, this is what I wasn't getting. So this is what it should be like. This is what it should feel like. You get. So with God and your family and whether we like it or not, relationships and then work. By relationships, I'm talking about both romantic and platonic. Then work. These are the four things that affect your mental health. Work. How you conduct yourself at work. How, what, how work makes you feel about you. 
your earning? Are you going to compare yourself to others? How you're able to be in your own lane and own it and not be threatened by the next person? You know, but the foundation, like we said, is all God. When you have God in every single level of that building, you would know how to navigate and build and furnish each floor. I'm just going to take a minute. <laughs> a minute of silence for James What? For real. For real. I'm curious though, have you have you had to change your friend circles over the years? Oh yeah. If you have had to, when is a friendship irreparable? When when have you reached the point where you know okay, this is not a friendship that should ever continue? Betrayal. I wouldn't have my friendships would still be on point if not for betrayal. Hmm. Um, uh, and what is the biggest unforgivable form of betrayal there is uh, as far as you're concerned? I think uh, the, the word is not unforgivable. I think the word is intolerable. Okay. I would say I won't tolerate betrayal, but I will forgive it. I've forgiven all the betrayal, but you can't come back in my life because I got trust issues now because of all the betrayal. Hmm. And the thing is, once you show me who you really are, I'm not going back to you. The only time I've done that is when I was in love, which is why my relationships, even though I feel like they're probably over like three months before they were actually over, over, because I hold on. But with friendships, it's intolerable. Betrayal. I've had people go behind me to try to take my jobs, to try and take food from my mouth. I've had people go behind me to take my name off things. I've had uh, friends that... um ruin my relationships with other people just so that the people could uh, favor them. I've had um, ungrateful friends. Um, I've had friends that have um, lied about me and taken my name to press just to slander me. Those are the unforgivable, well, not unforgivable, intolerable ones. Because initially I thought they were unforgivable, but through my spiritual growth, I had to let them go because staying mad at them was doing more harm to my spirit than good. It's like that saying that says, um, staying bitter towards someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, you know? So I was hurting myself. Meanwhile, these ones were off living their lives and their new lives because they really didn't give a shit about you. Someone that gives a shit about you would never put themselves in a position to lose or hurt you. So they would easily move on and do their own thing and you're here hurting. How could you? How could you? Meanwhile, they're living their happy lives, which is why it feels like people that do bad live longer. Uh, you know, the, the religious leaders there will say, oh, God is giving them time to change. But what's what about you that was hurt? So, you know... Um, I just decided I will forgive, but I'm not letting you back in my life because it's it's intolerable. Like there are some things they do to you that you know if you let them back, especially when you have grace upon your head, they will always want to take, 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 take from you because I have that kind of um, energy where if you're not a very assertive, confident person, you would always be threatened by everything happening around me, within me and uh, with me in general, you know? So it's very hard. That's why the few friends I have now, I treasure them so much because regardless of whatever is happening around me, they stay loyal, mm. they stay grounded, they stay supportive and whatnot. It's very hard to find people like that. Unfortunately, all of them are now outside the country. America, America, Australia, London. It's hard. It does feel lonely, but which is why this process I'm going through is helping me. Because right now, I'm beginning to enjoy my own company all over again. I mean, I woke up today, I was playing some Sunday jazz music from YouTube. And I was just like doing a silly salsa to myself and laughing at myself. And I just went, wait a minute, am I actually enjoying my time alone? Am I crazy? <laughs> but 
I was like, wow, this is what they mean by enjoying your own company. It's not bad. I'm not having to think about anyone's mood or anyone's energy or what I've said or what I've done. I'm literally, if I want to salsa naked and do a, 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 a triple back jump or flip, whatnot, you know, but triple backflip, Caesar, what? Yep. <laughs> I can. Yes. And I'm like, okay, you know? So yeah, um, with the friends, it's hard. It's really hard because people like me, just like when we love in our relationship, we love deep. When I love my friends, I love deep. Like I, I always tell people, I don't do friendships. I do brotherhoods. I've seen you around, um, man, there had been different points, different events where I've seen you either from afar or in the green room or, or wherever it is. I think you yeah. in the gym walls yeah. or whatever it is. And I've seen you around different yes, types of yes. friends. And the way yes. you guys interact with each other, it definitely feels like a love of brothers. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you yes. told me I'm with my cousins or I'm with these kids. We grew up, we were six months old. We, we've, been, we've known each other since we were six Thank months you. old. I would believe you. It's that very, not in a toxic way, pack. Because sometimes when people say pack mentality, they mean something toxic. I don't mean that. Yeah, but y you guys look and feel. It's like it's it's like a lion's den. Yes, yes. Yes. As an observer. Yes. Yes. It's like, and that's how I operate. Like, I don't believe in, oh, yeah, my friend. No, you're my brother. If I let you in, you're my brother. If I let you in, you're my sister. Like, and I'm very super protective of the friends that have, like, I don't joke around. Like, sometimes you see that on my page, I'll just post up random people and say, thank you for being my friend because mm. i appreciate and value friendships you know that's how i am like it's family for me it's it's family which is why i cannot for the life of me intentionally do anything to hurt any of the people i've called my brothers and sisters i can't because honestly the way i see my friends that have called that have turned to family is the same way i see my actual family members you, you you get me? Like, I love my sisters and my brother to death. And I will do anything to protect them. And if you enter that space with me, I transferred that emotion to you. And now your most embarrassing <laughs> moment in four words. Don't explain. Don't tell me mm. what happened. Don't explain anything. Just give mm. us four words. In four yes. words. My most embarrassing moment, switch night high school, performing as a woman. Wait, wait, wait. You are telling us the whole story. Performing. No, that's a, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying. Switch night, high school, performing as a woman, boxer stuffed while performing, boxer starts to sag down. <laughs> that's my most embarrassing moment. <laughs> oh gosh! And this was boarding school, yeah. Wow, it was boarding school. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Um, um, My please life. recommend a book or two that you have enjoyed or has impacted you on whatever level and you would like us to, to check out. All right. The Secret by Rhonda Byrne and The Genie Within. Awesome. The Secret and The Genie Within. And I'm about to start reading um, Battlefield of the Mind, Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. Okay. Yeah, I'm about to start that one. But The Secret and then The Genie Within, awesome. those two. Thank you. And um, we know how to find you on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but if there is Instagram, anything else that yes. you would like us to, to check out, maybe a personal project you're pushing 
organization or a part of anything else that you're doing that you want us to be involved with on some level and tell us how to find you basically and support you oh yeah it's just uh, social media i'm very accessible on social media uh twitter instagram at sir uti uh yeah those are the, the best place to reach me actually is instagram i'm very active on instagram yeah uh, you're always DM, uh, your there's an email and there and <laughs> putting it up <laughs> <laughs> they do the same thing to me very mischievous human beings <laughs> yes, yes that accounts yes, very yes. active instagram <laughs> you account yes. there. <laughs> uti thank you so much for your time your mm. words the love you have no, shown thank you um your experience everything you've done today thank has you. been such a blessing i'm eternally grateful thank you so much for coming on and you truly truly are thank you thank you my mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly if i was good